All right, so this is going to be episode four of the podcast, and tonight we've got James uh, from Hub City Outdoors. Uh, he makes some pretty original-looking gear. He repurposes some stuff, and then he's uh, hitting a little bit of everything in the realm. So, uh, James, I'm going to kick it over to you to go ahead and introduce yourself. All right. Hi, everyone. My name is James. I am a uh, the owner of Hub City Outdoors, like he said, and uh, uh where to start with my background? Uh, Cub Scout, Eagle Scout, Infantryman. Almost made it through EOD school. Got medically retired before I could finish and decided to do... Uh, my, the impetus for starting my business was making better gear than I was issued. And I've kind of been using that as my driving, driving motivation for, for, do what I, for doing what I do. So to sum it up shortly, I've, I've done a lot of creative crap in my time. So... Very it's cool. a lot of fun. Awesome. And yeah, I was looking around at your, your shop earlier. I had seen, I think it was the Corona rig that yep. that was the first thing I saw from you. And I don't know if you were doing a giveaway or if somebody had tagged me in it or something. Uh, but I remember seeing it. I was like, that thing looks really familiar. I can't figure out what it is. Yeah, Corona rig uh, is actually is one of my oldest, like prior to the business, back when I was still a young infantryman. I used to hate running around with a flick, you know, the stupid issued thing I used, to, I used to hate it so much so i uh i got the idea to try and make a lightweight chest rig before those really became a thing and you take those issued three mag cell pouches and you just i ad hoc it i used like probably a mile of duct tape and a bunch of 550 cord and i made it happen and then i finally learned the skills to actually sew up a relatively decent product in my opinion and that's actually been really popular so it's people people seem to like the simplicity of it it's a screaming good deal i think it was it was right around 40 dollars. i think right yeah so it's I, I numbers and me don't agree so I, I don't want to give you the wrong number but it's relatively affordable by comparison of a lot of other micro i, I say that um with a little bit of sarcasm because it's basically a pouch with a harness on it so i mean it, it's relatively uh yeah that's my cat Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we uh, uh, it's just an easy way for everyone to do it because I dropped it at the beginning of March 2019, right when uh, the COOF, the COVID became a thing, <laughs> and uh, I thought it was funny to figure out a way to. Everyone was fighting each other for toilet paper and getting ready for the end days, and I just I thought it was funny. That's why I called it that. So. No, that's cool. And I, I appreciate you making that thing because I absolutely despise that as a pouch. Like that is, I, it has never made sense to me. Yeah, it's it's kind of the black sheep of the uh, issued gear family. And to be honest, I thought it was super underrated for what it was because it, it does everything. It holds three mags, which most people really only ever need, especially depending on your, your given field of work. And uh, you have room to add crap onto it with a molly on the front and it keeps it super lightweight and if you're doing it the right way it, it's paper thin it's only two layers of of webbing thick and you can throw a ruck over it and still have stuff ready to go so absolutely yeah as a chest rig it makes sense it's just the the weird footprint on the back has always confused me it's made it's six six columns wide and it's made to go on five it doesn't make sense I, who knows yeah. Some, some guy who gets paid more money than me figured that was a good idea. Yeah. I, I don't work for the army or I would have been like, that's dumb. <laughs> but 
then I, I also saw you do some some 3D printing stuff. You make some some 3D printed bolt knobs. Yeah, so we, we started branching into like not just soft goods, but actual like hard goods, I guess would be the classification for those. Um, a mutual friend of ours, Guy DeMarco, who runs his own podcast way over in the yonder, um, got me interested in doing Precision 22. And uh, April or March of 2019, he's like, hey, come out, shoot my rifle, see how you like it. Well, I shot third or fourth my first match out of 15 or so shooters. The next match was the finale for the entire series. They had shot 2018 to 2019. And with a borrowed gun, a borrowed scope, ammo I didn't pay for, I came in second and won that, won that class of uh that i shot in so i figured oh, shit maybe i'm pretty good at this and decided <laughs> to uh i sold a gun i didn't shoot bought a gun that i knew i would and i bought a little 22 little cz 457 and i uh, haven't looked back since and i just started looking for ways to save money in terms of getting accessories because if, if anyone here listening knows about doing precision rifle shooting you better be crapping diamonds to pay for some of that stuff and uh well i'm very frugal to the point of being kind of ridiculous about it <laughs> and uh i just i just gotten into the new shop and i was like all right well my buddies let me borrow his 3d printers for a while let's see what i can make and uh decided to figure out how to make a better bolt knob that came on the rifle and hadn't really looked back since and i continue a learning process and now i'm doing my own actual 3d design on an AutoCAD program to make my own products. At first I was finding something and printing it and see if I could modify it in any way. And now I'm like, well, I'm gonna do this. Might as well jump in with both feet. And I got uh, Fusion 360 on the laptop and I make my own stuff now. That's super cool. Was there, is there any other uh, hard goods uh, that you make? I, that was the only one I caught, but so uh, very briefly, we came out with a 3D printed rifle stabilizing plate. Uh, well, I guess there was some patent issues that were still getting clarified, but we, we decided to go ahead and pull it. You know, okay. if, you know, I don't want to give lawyers any more money than they already make. <laughs> um, but actually, since you asked, we have a few more things popping up here soon. Um, one of the things that a fellow shooter came up with is a dope card holder for rifles. It actually clips to the scope, super low profile, foldable footprint, and you just use like a white plastic ID card. You get anywhere, they, hey, this is your work tag, don't lose it. And uh, it clips to the rifle, it clips on, and I, I told them I thought it was a great product and I'd love to carry it as a product. So we work out a deal, and I'm the primary manufacturer, primary manufacturer for his item. And uh, we just added that. We kind of had a soft opening on it. It's been up for a while. We already got we already got orders on it. People just organically saw it and decided it was a good idea. So we're doing a, uh, a formal launch on it on Monday. So oh, cool. depending on when this goes out, some people can go see it beforehand. And uh, another one we're doing is actually 3D printed scope chains. Oh, that, okay, cool. That actually act like a blade of armor. So it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing. So the standard scope shades that fit onto the front of a scope can be pretty expensive for what they are. I think the cheapest one I found is like 50 bucks. Back to that whole frugal thing. <laughs> uh, 
I figured I could do it cheaper if I printed it. So I figured out how I wanted to make it, had a prototype for a while that was two piece threads. And to make that work, it would be hella thick. And I didn't want to do that. So I just simplified it. Sometimes simplicity is better and I like simplicity. So it's a single piece design, slips right over, gives your shade and acts like armor. So if you're shooting any positional, guys who know what positional shooting is will be like, yeah, uh-huh. Um, if you impact any barricades or whatever, you're breaking a piece of plastic, that's dollars to replace versus a $50 sunshade possibly damaging your scope. So it, it feels kind of too That's cool. And then uh, while we're kind of on the topic specifically of, of your products, I want to plug another one because the, the current trend has been, uh, oh my God, there's nothing in stock anywhere. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but you make a very affordable uh, plate carrier. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, so um, universal fit rarely ever does. That alone was my driving factor when I finally decided to invest in good body armor and a little shameless plug. I'm now a hoplite dealer. So if anyone wants to buy good level four armor, hit me up, we'll get you a deal. <laughs> I'll get you a plate carrier at a great price for it too. So uh, I decided after I got my own good armor that actually fits because sappy plates, I'm sure you can agree with me, are not the most comfortable plates in the world, and they're way too tall for what they are. So I bought a pair of plates that fit right. Couldn't find a plate carrier that fit them because I'm a relatively small frame guy. I wear 8x10 plates. I have good luck finding an 8x10 plate carrier anywhere on the market. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen one. I actually get that question a good bit. And that was going to be one of my other questions is, is – it looked like they were swimmer cut plates. Yep. So I run focused on. I run swimmers front and rear, and I do that. And some people will be like, "Ooh, you know, that's really kind of limiting the amount of coverage you get." Um, well, after being an infantryman um, for as long as I was, movement is life, and the more mobility you have, the more likely you are to survive a gunfight. Likelihood of me ever getting into a gunfight now is super minimal, but. And the, the, you know, the methodology and the mindset still applies, you know, look at all the civil unrest we've had and stuff like that. And the most passive means of defense is a shield and you can wear a shield now on your body. So, you know, it, it's no different than that. And the plate carrier design back to my, you know, simplicity mindset is it's super minimal. It's called the lock, the L O C and it stands for the low observable carrier. Because to my knowledge and from what I have done in comparison, because I've used dozen or so different plate carriers just doing stuff shooting over the years, um, it's the most minimal plate carrier I think I could have come up with. And it's super simple. It's a plate bag, it's a shoulder strap, and it's a cummerbund. It, it doesn't need to be anything else. We don't have molly dangling all over it. We don't have anything that really doesn't need to be there. You know, because if you're not you know, downrange doing God of War stuff, how much do you really need? You know, which I see all the, don't get me wrong, they can have fun spending their money on whatever makes them happy, but you see people buying these God of War setups and they got like a hundred mags and no medical and they're like, I can fight for a thousand days in this. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, you've never been to combat. You've never had to wear that in the field for 30 days. And, uh, you know, it's it's simple. It, it gets the job done and 
when you said affordable, people are like, oh, I bet it's expensive. I mean, I think the most expensive loadout I've made for essentially a custom plate carrier because each plate bag is made for the specific plate you intend on using. Universal fit rarely does. Right. So when a customer approaches me, hey, I have, for instance, Tesco L210 plates, super common, a known, a known plate on the market. I say, okay, I have the template for that exact plate. The plate bag is made to fit that plate, period. No other plate will fit in that plate bag. And the I, the, I got asked why, and I'm like, well, this is getting into the whole research into why I did it the way I did it. When you have multiple masses moving, it causes small impact trauma. When you have a plate carrier that doesn't fit the right way, that's not holding the plate in the plate bag and holding that plate bag to your body the right way. When you're moving, it is moving more, li more likely than not in the opposite direction that you're going. So when you're going back down, your plate is still up. And when you start going back up, that plate and the shoulder strap is going to hit you. And it's just going to cause trauma, 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 trauma. That's why you get so many people that complain about upper neck and shoulder injuries, you know, from having to wear a plate carrier all the time. It's because it's not fit the right way. And right. It, I'm not going to boo-boo on any specific company, but there's a very popular plate carrier out there where the shoulder straps are wide. They're not actually on your shoulders anymore. They're on your collarbones or on your ball socket where they shouldn't be. People can probably already know where, where I'm going with this. That's not okay. The best spot for it is on your shoulder. So people are like, whoa, those, those shoulder straps are too narrow. No, they're where they should be. They're on your muscle. Where, where it's designed to take impact trauma and do work. You know? So it, it, it gets down. To, I, I get into the minutia if you didn't notice. So it, it comes down to uh, just building a better quality, a better fit item and keeping it affordable. Right. You know? and it, it certainly is affordable. And I think you do it uh, kind of piecemeal too, right? So yep. you, you get the plate bags that are sized to your plates and yep. then you get the shoulder straps and then your choice of cummerbund, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So we have the plate bag. When you order it, you get the plate. You say, I get the info, whatever. Then you have three different choices for, actually it's two choices for your shoulder straps. Have a very simple single piece of webbing shoulder strap that just Velcro's on the front and rear. And it's one piece of, it's one piece of mil spec 17337 webbing. Like that's it. That's some, that's all some people need. Or you can get the adjustable one. So if you're like me and you like to go run and gun at the range, even though your body doesn't agree with it, you can size the fit for your day. So it's pissing rain outside because I live in Florida. I can size it to fit over my jacket when I get to the range just by simply pulling the tabs up, dropping it down and fitting it. Oh, and then I think we have four or four different cummerbunds that we do now back to the whole simplicity thing. You can get a single piece of webbing. You can get an adjustable one in two different, you know, um, you can get the two row of Molly or you can get the three row Molly, which I don't think is live yet. I'm just getting ready to add yeah, that. I don't think I saw the three row on there earlier. When yeah, I was looking at it. we just got the final kind of figuring out how much it's going to be. So I think it goes live Monday. That's how I have the schedule on the website. Don. But very cool. Gives you options and it's scalable. So you can build it up as much as you want or keep it as simple as you want. 
Awesome. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right about, uh, plate bags fitting too, too big of a range of plates. Yep. Uh, the one that sticks out most in my memory is, uh, security forces for a while was getting, uh, ABU, uh, London bridge carriers, which are a super high quality carrier. But oh yeah. Kinda, they kind of shortchanged themselves and they, they went with a, a one size fits all, uh, plate carrier. And it wasn't, it wasn't a large plate carrier that they were giving everybody. It was legitimately a universal fit. So yep. it had, it had a mechanism for raising the plate in it, which was cool. Uh, but when you build something that'll fit an extra large plate and then you throw a small sappy in there, there's a lot of space unaccounted for at the bottom. Yeah, absolutely. And it really, oh. it really showcased itself when you went to draw mags from, from those front pouches because the entire front of the plate bag would come with it. There it's just no flopping. Yeah. Floppy bits are not, not a fan of, uh, not a fan, not a no, fan of floppy no. bits. <laughs> plus, plus then you have all that extra bulk there to account yeah, for the extra yeah. large plates. And, and it's extra weight on top of that that doesn't need to be there. So, I right. mean, keep it as thin, as trim, as, as felt as possible, and you, you get a better end, end use out of it. Exactly. Uh, we, while we're on the topic of plate carriers, uh, we got Matt from Axel here uh, asking uh cummerbund preference and his question is elastic or shock cord so i, I would imagine the way the the question is structured uh for adjustment in or stretch in your cummerbund uh do you prefer to have some elastic built in there or uh some shock cord weaved together in the back that's the way i would imagine that question is coming actually out. neither and there's a very specific methodology behind that so when I tell people to size their plates, I give a little instruction sheet for each component when they get, get it back in the mail. There's a specific way that I have set it up to work. So all of our stuff attaches with Molly. There's a crossover section on the back to adjust the gross type of fit. And then you adjust basically how tight you want it in the front. So what I tell people is put it on as you would wear it. Adjust your shoulder straps first, get it set to, you know, your sternal notch and just above your C5 or C7 in the rear. And then adjust your cummerbund. And you do that by just lining up that front one because there's a center line we sew right down the middle. Line it up on the front, right in the center line. Have someone help you in the rear. The biggest, deepest breath you can in. Hold it, have them slap it down, and just leave it. That's all you need. When you start introducing extra components such as elastic, well, elastic wears out. And it wears out quicker than people give it credit. You know, it, you use something enough, it will it will eventually give. And the webbing is more flexible than people really understand. There's always stretch. It, it's very minimal, but if, if you're in good physical condition and you have it set just the right way, you really don't need that. If you look at like the Cry JPCs, you get their, in my opinion, way too rigid cummerbunds. It's like two pieces of webbing sewn to, I believe, a carbon fiber or a fiberglass inner core. And that thing is solid. It's like putting on a hula hoop. It doesn't move. It doesn't need to move. You know, if, like I said, if it's sized the right way and you're in, you know, you have some meat on your bones, it, it's not going to really be a problem. So for me, when I wear mine personally, I use a two row of Molly because most things that I put on that cummerbund only need two rows. You know, I size it. When I put it on, I take a deep breath in, 
I put the cummerbund on and then relax and it's, it's good to go. I haven't had a single issue with it. And I can back that up. Um, in October of last year, we went to Texas and uh, I went to go shoot Flash Bash. And for those who don't know what it is, I'm super big into AKs. I think they're the, don't get me wrong, there's something wrong with an M4, but every single one of them looks the same after a while. There's another one of my cats. <laughs> we got five. We collect them. Um, we went to Clash Bash, and the whole weekend, it's two days of shooting on the clock from the time that we started after we ate breakfast, the time that we finished so we could go to the bonfire. Me and a couple of my friends wore our plate carrier the entire time. The exact way we I explained how to set it up, and we didn't have any issues. Yeah, we were sore. But we didn't have any rub marks. We didn't have any any bruising like you see some guys do after a long time in the field on the shoulders. None of that. It, it, it fits like a well. It, best comparison, it's like getting a hug. That's how it should feel. It should feel like you're getting a hug, not something sitting on your shoulders. The weight should be distributed across your body the right way, you know? So, I mean, it, it all comes down to how you have it fit. That's I do agree there. That's the that's one thing people really just fuck up. It, it's not fit the right way for them. Yeah, I agree. There's there's a huge range of uh, levels of comfort that come with plate carriers, and the easiest way to fix any of them is to just wear it correctly. Yeah. Uh, if you've got if you've got stuff too loose, you're right. You're gonna get that extra shock and everything from the plates moving around. It's gonna it's gonna float around side to side on you. It just it's everything's more comfortable when it fits the way that it should. I still have the shirt from Kalash Bash. I didn't wash it, which is kind of gross. <laughs> but after the first day, um, there was a salt stained outline, perfect outline of everywhere that plate carrier was touching my body, and that's what you want. You want it to fit perfectly because if you look at dudes taking off like uh, IOTVs, great example. There is so much crap. There is so much unnecessary bullshit all over that thing. And they're just drenched in sweat from, from top to bottom. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It could be the dead of winter and you're just going to get drenched with sweat. And it's flopping about. You try running with it. It feels like you got a small child on your back. It's terrible. You know, I, I despise the IOTV. Great concept, but terrible execution. Oh yeah, it's terrible. You know, and you, you just got to look at the difference between like actual practical use. And then uh, also, since the the plate carrier itself isn't uh, inherently built for additional load bearing, you make a range of chest rigs as well, aside from yeah. the Rona rig. So, small caveat to that statement: we do actually, and we are manufacturing our own in-house Molly placard fronts that hang oh, cool. onto them. So it doesn't show it in the photos, and I, I'm still working on getting better photos. I, it is me and my very beautiful wife doing this. We have no employees, you know. So when I say it's handmade to order, everything from the time that I that the packing slips get printed off to the time it ships is either touched by these hands or my wife's. Very good. Or, or always busy, you know. So the newer ones actually have hanging loops built onto them. And we're cool. making our own Molly uh, uh, placard hangers in the front, which currently are only available to purchase if you get a if you get a plate carrier with us. But okay. we're adding them to the site again on Monday. We're adding like five or six new things on Monday, 
So you can adjust it. And the cool thing about how we're doing it is it's not just a placard. It can also act as a test rig. Oh, cool. So you can take, if you don't have a, if you don't have one, you can take it. The same Corona rig harness works with that. Okay. So you can order just the placard and the basic mod, or you can get the total mod and you can wear it as both. Very cool. And same, same thing. That's one of the things I, I definitely try and do is try and use so many different parts in different ways that doesn't affect its usage. So yeah, they, they fit on there. And, but back to your, your main point, I do, we make a whole bunch of test rigs. Um, back to the whole, I freaking love AKs thing. Um, when I first started doing AK stuff, you know, Chicom type 56 chest rigs, $20 on Amazon, get it in two days. That's what I started. And I got it. I liked it, but it could be better down the rabbit hole. We went. So the first thing I did is like, all right, let's make this better. Nothing wrong with an X harness. And, you know, I agree very slightly with Lucas from T-Rex arms on the statement. An X harness hits a wider variety of people easier. It does. But it's not as comfortable and doesn't last as long. Right. So I 100% up and down swear that if you get a, an H harness properly fitted to your body, you're going to end up being more comfortable and it's, you're going to enjoy wearing it longer. So every single chest rig that we make is an H harness. Every single one of them. And when people have trouble with them, like I say on the instruction slip, call me. I'll, I'll walk you through it. You'll hear the sewing machine running because I'm probably doing something, <laughs> but I'll tell you exactly how it's supposed to be, how it's supposed to fit. So we make, we started originally doing the updated Chicom. So we would take the Type 56 or a Type 81, but for the, those who don't know, Type 56 is a three mag, um, there I am is a three mag chest rig and the type 81 is a four mag kind of goes along with how the Chinese originally adopted their small arms in 1954. I believe they made a deal with the Soviet union to get the technical data package for the AK. And it wasn't formally put into service until type 50 until 56. Hence the name type 56 is when it was formally adopted. There's a weird whole convoluted story behind that. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not Ian from forgotten weapons. I'm not kidding. <laughs> But they adopted the chest rig with it. And then when they updated to their Type 81 SMG, they called it an SMG, but it's really a, a rifle. They updated it for more magazines because, you know, when they had the Sino-Vietnamese uh, War, the Chinese got their ass handed to them by the Vietnamese. And that's when they updated to the Type, the type 81 and carried more ammo, you know? So we took those. I figured out how to make an H harness that was comfortable on them. Boom, add those on. Well, maybe the grenade pouches on the side could be better. Rip them off, put Molly on them. So now there's wings of Molly. You can put whatever crap you want on there. Okay, well, maybe the mag cells aren't the best and the button flap closure is not awesome, the little frog buttons. Yeah. Rip those off, made our, made our version, and we've, we've kind of updated the design, um, made our versions out of mil-spec webbing because it's going to last longer than fabric, you know, and that was the whole impetus for our Mark one series. You know, I decided, well, it's good to modify stuff. But why not make my own? So from the ground up our our type 56, any, any chest rig, including the type 20 that has Mark one is brand new, hundred percent, our design based off an original 
concept piece. So if you look at our Type 56 Mark One, and I'm going to list off a bunch of stuff for all the people listening. 100% made in America with 100% made in American components with 100% very compliant components. That's why, but we got a great, great cost on it. You know, we're using mil spec thousand denier Cordura. None of that 500 denier bullshit that wears out after six months. Thousand denier king lasts forever. We're using mil spec government double E text 69, I think or size 69 text, whatever thread. So super strong. Like I can hang my almost, I can almost hang my small child off a single strand before it breaks. My daughter, she's a three and only weighs like 26 pounds. So it's pretty strong stuff, you know, and then all mil spec webbing, all berry compliant parts. So like you're getting something that would qualify to be purchased to use on mission downrange, you know, and not to toot my own horn. I have made stuff, I, I live down in Northwest Florida, just north of EOD school, as you know, and uh, seventh group is right down the road. I make plenty of stuff yep. with those guys. And every time they purchase something, I produce very compliant certificates with it. And that allows them to use it on mission. So you're not lighting up like a Christmas tree under IR because you can look at the difference between like Condor gear under IR versus very compliant gear under IR huge difference it, huge. it is a big difference and and i don't know i don't know how many people really appreciate that fact like yes condor gear has served some people yeah. well i mean <clears throat> condor is your foot into the game you know as a private in the army i wanted better gear than was issued what did i buy i bought condor until i realized it was garbage and i looked like a christmas tree when someone shined ir light on me yeah you know that that's the way most people start. And for most people who don't run NVGs, it's not going to matter. Yeah. Yeah. You if, you, if you never run into NVGs, uh, you will never appreciate the difference between American made fabric and, and Chinese fabric. Uh, yeah. It, and it's quite literally night and day. I think some, sometimes the only complaint I really get sometimes is well, why is that as expensive as it is? And when I go through and explain everything, they're like, okay, now it makes sense. You know, I'm, I'm not using made in China stuff. I, it, I say that there's probably something there and someone's going to be like, aha, I found it. So I'm not going to hold my to that. But <laughs> everything where it matters, I, I really try and use the absolute best because, you know, my end goal is, uh, and I, I believe very strongly with Lyman Bishop, the owner of Poplite Armor, um, I'm in the business of saving American lives. For, for better or worse, you know, anything from our plate carriers to hold good quality armor to gear, if you actually need to use it, and hopefully we never do any anywhere, you know, because, you know, this is America, you know, we shouldn't have to, you know, I want my gear to work, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, friends who are still in the army who go down range and they buy my gear, or, you know, it happens to be, you know, the school resource officer who I sold the sling to. I want them, I want to make sure that that they have the best gear. So, yeah. And I know, I know uh, there's going to be some people uh, that talk about the choice of thousand year Cordura versus 500 D and uh, every, everything has its place. Right. And I think, you know, having already identified yourself as an AK fan, thousand D makes sense on yeah. centric rigs that, that lock on the magazines. Steel all day, baby. That'll yeah. chew through stuff. And 
excuse me, there are other people in the market who make very high quality AK gear, but they use what could be better fabric on their stuff. Guys who are in the AK community can already know who I'm talking about, you know, um, great products, but it's going to wear out quicker than quicker than they think. Yeah. So the whole issue is you got to understand what you're using and why you're using it. And everything has a time and a place. Um, so thousand D is not dead, nor should it be dead. It just depends on where you're using it. Same thing with 500 D for a lot of applications. It's, it's perfectly fine. You know, I've experimented using 500 D for what I would call second line gear, storage gear. I'm not going to need this in the thick of it. So maybe I can get away with using a lighter, lighter piece of kit. Um, you know, like you said, every, every, every material has a time and a place. And I, I hate to say it, everything I make is thousand D as, as much as it can be, because, you know, it may be more of a pain in the ass to work with, cause it's a pain in the ass to work with. It's, it's stiff. Even mil spec webbing can be a real pain depending on the manufacturer who, who I buy from at the time. Um, it can be a real pain, you know? So I understand why some people decide to go with 500 cause you know, easier to work with it's cheaper you know yeah and and like the user also not not even just the application of it but the user makes a difference too if you're if you're out there buying your own gear thousand d can be a pretty good choice because it it does last longer whether you yeah. need it to or not longevity um, is king yeah. on yeah and if it's your own money you you probably want something that is less disposable not that not that the 500 denier stuff falls apart in a week, but uh, you can get lifelong gear out of 1,000 denier a little bit better. So I noticed the question here that I want to hit. Um, okay, sure. Matt Hawes says, Bartak 55301 on 1,000D is pretty bomb-proof. Absolutely. I'll agree with that all day long. Um, I, I don't mess with laminates as much. When it starts coming, because he, he asked if I mess with laminates or other technical materials, Laminates, I kind of stay away from. There's a material, I believe it's called HACK, H-A-C-K. It's an acronym. I don't remember off the top of my head. But it's what Cry uses on their SPC rig, if I remember right. It is a rubber or PVC-backed 1000D Cordura. Super awesome. But you need a laser cutting machine to cut it. I don't have 100K to drop on a good fabric cutting laser machine. Uh, so I, I tend to stay away with it. But, I mean... For its use and how they how they employ it, I mean, you just can't beat it. So, I mean, it, it comes down to it doesn't hold water. Hank, thank you, Hank. You, you answered my question for it, Hank. Um, for its use and what they what they make it for, I mean, you just can't beat it. It, it comes down to, you know, I'm I'm trying to make stuff for everyone, so. It, it kind of comes down to I just stick with one thing and work with it because it doesn't. I don't have to change my machine. I don't have to change the needle. I don't have to change my tension setup. You know, I don't have to have a hundred thousand dollar laser machine to be able to cut this laminate material. Um, and he also asked about other technical materials. So it's kind of by request. When someone says, Hey, I want to use this specific material because I have this reasonable application for it, then I'll do it. You know, it, it, it comes down to, so best material I can come up with. 1050 ballistic nylon instead of being um, I believe they use an aramid fiber. I, I'm, I don't use a bunch of it. 
Um, when someone says, hey, I need this in this specific application, then it needs to fill this kind of requirement slot. And I'm, I'm talking for guys who use stuff on specific, specific jobs. I, I'll go ahead and do that. But trying to stick with, I want everyone to be able to get it. I don't, I don't really get really crazy into laminates. Don't get me wrong. They're fantastic in euros. Your ball's expensive. Holy crap. But, uh, you know, for, for how other companies use it, you know, I, I wish I could use it in some places, but for how other companies use it and, and how they apply it, I mean, it's awesome. I mean, I would love to answer your question, Matt. No, I don't, but I would love to in the future. We're working on it. We're, we're a small company still growing. So you talk about uh, specialty materials. It, it reminded me, I've got a buddy. Uh, he was an Air Force firefighter. And then he uh, went in contracting, uh, still still doing firefighting stuff, and they needed plate carriers for wherever they were at. Yeah. And their chief or whoever decided that they needed uh, fire-resistant plate carriers. Yeah. I mean, you start getting into FR. I've messed with some FR stuff. There's a very specific set of criteria you kind of need to follow to keep that FR quality. Because FR is not FR forever unless yeah. you're getting a true FR fabric. Yep. So best example I can give, and I, I noticed there's guys here who have a lot of good technical knowledge, burn proof gear. He makes my, he, he, I consider him a kind of a friend because we've done business together. He makes the best suppressor wraps and handguard wraps ever. Because he took the time, he spent the money up front on investment to make best he absolutely could. So he's using Kevlar, Nomex, super high heat fiberglass, silicate, all that good stuff. You know, it, it is absolutely fantastic what he's accomplished from the start. And he started himself as a premium company from year one using these materials, you know, and I, I learned a lot from him. You know, I go down there as, as much as I can. I've learned a lot from him looking at how he has his business, how he runs it, materials he uses, you know, throwing ideas off of him on Instagram, you shoot him a message real quick, you know, it, it, fantastic stuff. And I, I know specifically the, the application for the FR plate carriers, because when dudes are at Kandahar airfield, they need to wear armor when they're going, putting a helicopter out on the flight line. So they don't get shot at or mortared or a rocket fired at them and die because they're not wearing armor. I totally understand that. And when you start getting into like FR plate carriers like that, you're looking at, Probably some sort of quilted layering system for FR, like made out of Kevlar or Nomex to be able to, to handle being under probably an aluminized um, bunker gear because air, our firefighting, that's aircraft rescue firefighting, for those who don't know, you're talking about super hot fire. Absolutely, it's, it's baking. Um, prior to me joining the Army, um, I volunteered as a firefighter and got a lot of training on that. So I have a little bit of knowledge about that. Cool. And uh, quick aside real quick, the last fire I ever I ever fought as a volunteer firefighter before I joined the Army, before I had my ship date, a tanker truck driver fell asleep. It's a shit ton of fuel. <laughs> He's doing Mach 100, uh, I believe, up I-90 going north. I lived in Savannah, uh, Richmond Hill, just outside of Savannah at the time in Georgia. Fell asleep at the, at the wheel. Came up over an overpass doing probably 90 miles an hour. 
and he crashed into the back of a car carrier, launching the cars off like dominoes. And absolutely amazing. I got woken up by the, our house shaking five miles away from the detonation of this tanker going up in flames. Wow. My dad was a volunteer firefighter at the time, too. He runs out, get your ass up, gets the truck, we got a fire. Grab my bunker gear, I'm in my skivvies, and I'm throwing it on, right? Get into his truck, drive to the fire station, go pick up a tanker truck, because we already know something's going on, because the radio's going crazy, they're calling in for mutual aid from three different counties, they're calling the airport, we're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> the apocalypse is upon us. We get there and we're driving through this maze of cars that just look like out of like a um, what's the movie? A Transformer movie. Fucking Michael Bay. Cars everywhere. There's shit in the road. There's gouges in the road. We're like, what the hell is going on? Right. We get there and we can only get 300 yards away because the tanker truck is burning the asphalt. Wow. It's how hot this thing is. And I, for those, I, um, the highway there is on is a raised highway, so there's hills on either side. And it's just hissing down fuel down this down the embankment. It's catching like three acres of of of, wild, of wildland on fire, right? It's burning into a neighborhood down down the hill. So we're sitting here going, "How the hell are we going to fight this? We don't have enough water for this, right?" So we hook our tanker truck up as like a I believe they called a fire tender at that point. You're just keeping an engine up and going. And there's mutual aid coming in and fighting the grass fire down the way. We're sitting there. We're trying to cool the asphalt off because it's just slowly melting. It looks like lava at this point. It's glowing red hot. It's just slowly working its way across, getting closer and closer to us. And then you see this big-ass fire truck from Hunter Army Airfield. It took them like 45 minutes to get here. It's this big behemoth. They roll up, they start spraying all their deck cannons. They got like 2,000 gallons of foam to throw on this thing. Hi, Cap. Say hi. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and uh, the firefighters hop out off the truck, and they're wearing the aluminized fire-resistant you know, kit that they wear because PLO burns hot. That's petroleum oil liquids for all the non-firefighting people, those who don't been in the military. It burns super hot. So when you start talking FR and aluminized stuff like that, I mean, you're getting into some absolutely crazy technical areas. And, you know, they're wearing the, the, the Mylar reinforced front visor and they got the insulated tanks on and stuff like that. It's an app. FR is a whole different ball game. I don't have the patience for it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that was a long winded answer, but I don't have the patience for FR after seeing what they had to go through for that. I, I will gladly defer to someone who I know will absolutely do a better job than me. Because like you said, like there are so many different criteria you have to follow to keep that FR rating. And if it's something you have to treat to be FR, it's only FR for that long. Yeah. So it, it's, it's an absolute crazy amount of crazy amount of shit. Yeah. I noticed another, I noticed another question from two people uh, kind of about the same question. Um, Dash T said, how does the heat affect the armor of the plates? And Matt Hawes kind of followed on with that. So there's a specific set of criteria in body armor for firefighters who need it. Um, generally, when you start talking ceramic plates, alumina, uh, the alumina ceramic cores are super heat resistant. 
that's part of the way they're manufactured is heat and pressure creates a super dense ceramic alloy that stops it, it impacts frags it uh, frags the round and stops it those are actually very heat resistant by comparison of UHMWPE. For those who don't know what that is, that's ultra high molecular weight polyethylene. It is scientific plastic. It is amazing stuff. When it around impacts that 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 polyethylene, it melts for a split second and instantly hardens. Because it gets so hot, it hits its its hardening point and captures the round. So how I believe body armor does um, for firefighters, and this is getting very technical. It's a pure ceramic plate with a super high heat binder on the outside, you know, but at the same time, they're wearing it underneath of their turnout gear, their bunker gear, and that in of itself stops a lot of the heat transfer. So heat can affect armor, but not as much as you think it can. People say, oh, don't leave your armor in a hot car. Well, you're not damaging the ceramic with that, which is your primary capture. You're probably going to be doing some damage to the polyethylene. I don't do armor very much, but I do know leaving it in your car is not going to destroy your plates. Because if firefighters can go fight an aircraft fire with body armor on in combat zones and still stop, still stop rounds, because they did a test on that to make sure it can still do that and yeah. still stop rounds, you'll be fine. So I have a huge technical report somewhere on the laptop talking about that because I was curious. I spent three days of research doing it and there's a huge, here's a huge thing going on about it. So that's super cool. I'm glad we got some science in here because that's really cool. I tell you what, the only uh, science I did good in high school was chemistry. So that was the only science I really enjoyed. So a a little something stuck there. (laughs) Awesome more of a biology guy so that doesn't doesn't factor in too much here so hey uh i i'm living i'm breathing i piss i shit i'm alive biology (laughs) (laughs) i i did i have had to learn a lot about anatomy in terms of doing uh product design for stuff like that so you know when i was talking about the plate carrier where it should sit on your body i i probably did four or five weeks of research just figuring out the best way to place stuff you know, I, I'm not, excuse me, I'm not Haley. I don't pretend to be an expert because he <laughs> certainly knows more about physicality and what it means to be, uh, uh, what's the word? I'm like in tune for how your body feels and what it should be feeling. Yeah. I, I'm not him. I don't know. Uh, all I know is I pull out Gray's Anatomy. Hi, Cap. I pull out Gray's Anatomy. I look at major muscle groups. I look at uh, studies, sports medicine studies about, you know, uh, how impact affects your body, how having a fucked up back, excuse my language, um, means I have to really be aware about how I, how I load weight onto my body. And that was honestly the biggest, the biggest drive for how my stuff is set up is my own damaged body. So if it's not comfortable to me, I, I don't think it'll be comfortable to other people. And I don't, I don't put it out there. It's like your own built-in test system. There you go. So. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like I said, like I did weeks, months of, of research and study on, on how to get something to fit and be comfortable. And, uh, you know, it took, 
before I even dropped it as a product, I, I think I used it for about a year. Oh, wow. And I just to make sure it was comfortable. And my friend who lives local to me, he saw it, he liked it. He's a, he's a fellow medically retired vet and he liked where I was coming from. His back's all messed up too. He doesn't have cartilage in his knees. And he got the essentially a clone of what I did in a different color. And he wears it when he's out on the farm just to keep, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of weight on the body, keep it, keep it moving, you know, and you know, it just takes time, you know, to learn everything you need to know. I, I still don't know. I don't claim to be an expert. I'm a, uh, consummate, uh, amateur is what I like to say. You know, <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do, but I can always learn one more. Yeah. I mean, it, it shows you, you can see it pretty, pretty quickly when people haven't put any thought towards how this stuff is going to wear. Um, and I mean, the most obvious starting place for that is plate bag fitment on the plates. And if, if the plates are loose in the plate bag, it really doesn't matter what the rest of it is. And then you, you take that a step uh, beyond making sure that it's going to fit the body correctly. Yeah. You know, it, it takes time. Some people are impatient. They want to, especially bigger companies, they want to make a product. They want to put it out there on the market and, Take your money. Matt asked if I'm drinking moonshiner tea, and it's it's absolutely tea. I'm not smart enough to do this uh, drinking <laughs> drinking 500 milliliters of moonshine or whatever this is. Woo! <laughs> not 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 that smart. Huh? So, yeah, this would be a real interesting podcast if that was the case. Hey, everybody. <laughs> um, and that, so we talked about your hard goods. We talked about uh, your your armor and or your plate carriers and your chest rigs. Uh, you do some other uh, super cool stuff. Uh, so crazy, crazy uniform fashion is coming back. You do some raid mods and some shorts. Yeah, surprisingly, raid mods are in again. What's old is new. Who knew, I, right? I didn't realize they ever left. I always appreciated them, but I guess they are coming back strong. So. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, it was middle of 2019. I, you know, I have a crap ton of BDUs because I love them. I think the cut is way better. And uh, I was like, okay, cool. You know, I I'm kind of consider myself a student of, of history a little bit. And all the way back from, let's say, early Vietnam, and then they started moving forward, you know. And honestly, Mac V. Sog, Ranger guys, the original Ranger guys, kind of led the way on what it means to have a modern uniform and fitment. Yes. Because you go from what the OG 507s, straight cut, heavy twill, green, flat pockets, room for nothing, right? And then all of a sudden you see the early, um, you see the early guys in Vietnam doing the uh, advisor stuff, and they're running around with the South, uh, I believe the Arvin, the South Vietnamese guys, and they're wearing their uniforms and they're modifying them. They're having, you know. Mama San down down at the shop modifying their uniforms to make them work better for that environment. And you see that carry forward. You know, that was 60 years ago. And the same thing that they started, we're still doing. Shoulder pockets, big pockets, room to put stuff on and take stuff off. It's scalable. Yep. You know, and I'm very fortunate that I, I met a early Ranger Alphabet Company guy who lives just down the road in Navarre from me. I call him up and I ask him like, hey, you know, what's the deal? Tell me about this. 
let me learn from your experience. And, you know, I think raid mods are awesome. It was a good way to make a kind of practical uniform even better. Yeah. And the, the raid mod, I mean, it goes far back as I think the earliest photos I can find of dudes having modified crap like that is like the mid eighties. It goes way farther back than early GWAT 2003 invasion. You know, dudes in the eighties were taking BDUs, ripping off the bottom pockets, tossing them on the shoulders, like old school world war two airborne dudes. Cause they wanted crap off their waist. They wanted it where they could get to it. They're not digging underneath their plate carrier or the flick or their flak jacket at that point, hell probably still to get to the gear they needed because you know, war is dynamic. And if you have things in places where you can't get them, you're probably going to die. Let's be honest, you know? So they just figured out a way to make it better. And I, I learned how to do it. And all of a sudden I have sold a hundred, probably a few hundred raid mods. You know, they, they've been super pop. Like every day I'm probably doing two or three just to keep up. Nice. You know, and, and yeah, the biggest complaint I have is it takes a while to get stuff. I'm always busy, guys. I'm always working, always selling from 7 a.m. usually to about 7 p.m. I'm at the shop, just sliding stuff through. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun, and you know, and I recently did a one for Tiger Stripe. Um, I kind of find True Spec is a good quality manufacturer of uniform items. You know, they actually have contracts with the government to make uniforms. like they're they have a cage number they have nsn printed uniforms yeah and you know having used them before they're good quality i mean they're they're, they're nothing to write home about they're gonna wear out eventually just like any other uniform but uh we did original we did the tiger stripe uh vietnam tiger stripe tops and uh i think i think we did 50 or 60 of those and I'm just now getting the last of them out. Like, I think Monday I got the last of them out and we did that in December. Okay. You know, it was a lot. We did, that was really successful. And, you know, giving the option to have it set up because I, I'm, I'm not just do it one way. Whenever someone buys something, if they want it the way that they want it, I'll do that. You know, granted, you're going to get a few extra bucks added on. Come on yeah. now, I got to make my living, <laughs> you know? But if someone says, I want all buttons, no Velcro. Cool. I will move your pockets and you can keep all the buttons. No problem. I'm okay with that. Do you want the Patagucci style two bar as opposed to the GWAT, the two bar on the top? 100%. We can do that. You know, I, I want the customer to be as happy with the product as me. So I'm, I'm okay with, with changing it up. You know, keeps me learning. Exactly. Yeah. And you mentioned a couple of really important things in there. Uh, you know the the World War II shoulder pockets. Like people have been yep. have been designing uniforms as a functional item as long as people have been fighting. Yep. And and I I feel like a lot of that has kind of gone away in certain communities. People forget that you are wearing equipment as clothing, right? Yes. So I I. I've teased the idea before of doing what I, I think I referred to it as pocket debris uh, video. And I call it pocket sand. <laughs> yeah, it's random go. stuff that you have in there. You forget it's there. Oh, pocket sand. I got it. Yeah. You there's, know, there's so many things that people think they need pockets for on their kit and everything, but you're wearing all the pockets on you and that stuff that you, that you want yep. 
every day, like it should be where it's going to be every day, which is in your uniform pockets. Yep. So, so not everything should be loaded onto one thing. Yeah. You got to layer your load out because if it's all in one spot, that's not going to help you. You take that off. Well, you're fucked, you know? Yeah. It's exactly. like, as speaking from practical experience as an infantryman, we had a tourniquet on every, every phalange. Yep. One tourniquet on each arm in a pocket, one tourniquet on each leg in the, uh, in the very bottom pocket because you don't want it all in one spot. So, you know, you need to, you need to, the word I use, I've been talking so much, I forgot. <laughs> um, you need to scale your gear. Yep. You know, you, you don't want it, you don't want it too heavy on one side or the other. It needs to be even across the board. Yep. And, and that kind of hits back to, to a concept that I've been kind of harping on is, you know, the more you use your gear, to, it, it doesn't matter what, what particular mission you're doing. If you have a job that has a very defined mission, that's awesome. That makes things really easy. You know, the, the bigger the scope of, of stuff you're doing, you're going to find those things that you want all of the time. And if you can carry those things that you want all of the time closer to your body, you know, in, in your uniform or on your belt, like that's a good place to start. And, and you, you said belt, and I'm, I'm super glad you said that. Belt's where it's at. Your hips take weight. The, the fact that people got away from doing belt setups and they're just now coming back in the last few years is awesome. You know, your, your mainline go-to is on your waistline. Where do you reach for when you go for a pocket? You go for your hips. Yep. You know, it used to be, oh, it was for your pistol. You know, and then people started putting dump pouches on, which is awesome. You want to retain your mags. Then they started putting medical on it. Perfect. That's where you want it. You want it in a known location where most people are going to have it. You know, it, it, it scale your load. Make it even across your body. Your whole body is a weight-bearing weight surface. Yep. You know? And uh, we had it pop up, and it was answered in the comments, but I just want to make sure we keep it in here for, for when it goes to the podcast. Uh, Matt uh, Renninger asked about uh, LA Police Gear Level 3 plates, and Matt hooked him up with the answer. They're yeah, absolutely um, Chinese. They're a mystery. They're Chinese mystery. Yeah. You know, Mr. Gunza Gear on YouTube has tested them pl those plates i don't have any practical experience with them i i can't comment to them and you know matt's probably right they're on a uh, uncertified chineseium to use another youtuber's uh uh parlance there it, yeah who knows and you know slash t said um you know stick with reputable manufacturers such as heavy tenkata ceridon ltc absolutely when it, when it comes to armor, you want to stick with people who are a known entity. Yeah. You know, until there's a certain point of critical mass of, of proven, you know, uh, you know, usage, you want to stick with people who know what they're doing. You know, LTC, in my opinion, is the premier body armor manufacturer in the United States, bar none. I have seen more LTC produced plates on dudes who shoot people in the face for a living in bad places than any, any other plate, you know, it, it just comes down to one, what can you afford and two, what's your potential threat, you know, level three plus, honestly, for most people is probably ever going to need the likelihood of you ever kind of getting into a gunfight where you're going to have to worry about M855A1, M855 in general, people treat that thing like it's gold, but I mean, it's, it's, it's mediocre at best, in my opinion. 
you know, most people are going to have to worry about handguns. So they're going to have to worry about, you know, smaller center fire cartridges, intermediate cartridges, your average 55 grain 223. There are more 55 grain 223 rounds or 556 five, rounds in the United States than people want to give it credit for. It is the most common round used on the AR-15 because it's affordable. So, I mean, you got you to gotta think about what, what's your potential threat, you know? You're probably going to run into a crap ton of Chinesium 7.62 ball. Trust me, I got a ton of it, <laughs> you know? You're going to run into a bunch of 55 grain. You're going to run into a bunch of 150 grain 308, you know? It, it, it really depends on the reputability of the manufacturer and the clarity that the manufacturer will give you. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're relying on that to save your life. You know, it is the most passive form of defense you have. You want the best that you can afford. Yeah. You know, I, I tell people don't waste your money, time or breath on steel. Yeah. I, I am on a personal crusade against steel body armor because all it does is turn that round doing mock. Oh my God. And do a frag grenade on the front of your body. Exactly. And that, yeah, you can put as much rhino liner on that thing as you want, but you hit one round compromises it. You're done. Every other round after that, you're going to have mock, oh my God, frag, because it's not small, it's frag. There's yeah. a difference going into your face underneath your chin. Yeah. That round won't kill you, but it's frag will. And for those who don't know, frag is the bullet exploding into a million pieces when it hits something hard. Spall is the actual back face damage coming off from a sharp, sudden impact of the steel. Best, best way to think about it. You shoot a armor piercing round from a tank and do another tank. That dart's going to go through. That's armor piercing. And on like M1s, it'll stop a lot of EFPs, explosively formed penetrators, because it's designed to. Yep. But if you shoot something like a HEP round, which is a high explosive plastic or something like that yep. the one that, that forms it's designed to be concussive it transfers its energy as hard as it can to push it through to break the inside of that vehicle and shoot it turns your weapon that you turned your vehicle or the armor you're wearing into a weapon yeah it, it pushes that steel out at mock oh my god again into your body and you don't stand a chance and i have seen plenty of steel armor testing where they're like oh yeah you're good it'll stop this that or the other but it weighs 10 pounds which you mm -hmm. don't want yeah and you know when you start shooting the big stuff at it because i've seen dudes shoot like the mass the biggest caliber they can fit out of it onto steel just to see it'll stop it may stop that round but if you look at the back of that there's splintering all over that well that's lost steel i can guarantee it that thing has has impacted it's fractured it at a molecular level and pissed out a bunch of steel at high velocity out from the target. People don't know. Yeah. You know, it, it, cool, it will stop around, but it'll probably kill you why it doesn't. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I straight up tell people when they, they buy a lock plate carrier and they're like, oh, I'm using AR500. I'm like, I'll give you a <laughs> refund. Yeah. I, I'll give you a deal so you can buy other plates. Come on. You can do better than that. Yeah. You know? It sucks that there's there's a, a threshold of entry in a lot of things, and armor is absolutely it. If you yeah. if you can't afford good plates, don't buy bad plates as a placeholder. Just save that money so you get there quicker. You know, absolutely. You know, like buy once, cry once. 
That's the best yeah. way to explain that, you know? And honestly, and I hate the shameless plug, once again, that's the reason I became a Hoplite dealer. You know, armor made for Hoplite is made by LTC. Known quantity. Yeah. And Lyman Bishop over there absolutely believes in saving American lives. You know, it is the most, again, it's the most passive form of defense that you have at your disposal. And if you can buy a, a pair of plates, not just one, a pair of plates, anywhere from 250 to $400, you're winning. Like, stop buying cigarettes. Don't buy all the beer. Take your time. Stop spending your money on Xbox Live or whatever. And actually dedicate yourself to, you know, make life. <laughs> Invest in yourself. I mean, I don't. I don't know what else how to say that. Like, your life is priceless. Yeah. So spend that little bit of money that you probably get every other week anyway. Save it. Buy the best you can afford. Buy quality. Yep. Yep. And America doesn't have a monopoly on on quality, but you're not you're not finding it in China. Like. I'm not going to say always, you know, American this, American this, American this. That's not my message. My message is not China, right? So, you know, you can, they can make those plates and they can send them to, to YouTube or X, Y, and Z, and they can shoot them all day and they can work. But you don't know how random those plates were. They could have been cherry picked. I mean, and this is something that manufacturers are very, they like to keep close to their chest, but it's the true failure rate. What is the true failure rate on those plates? Because, you know, to get NIJ rating, you have to send a plate to the National Institute of Justice. They test it. They certify that plate out of that lot, that plate out of all that group meets it. Therefore, all of those meet it. Yep. But what is the true failure rate? You know, and I, like again, shameless plug, LTC has a true failure rate of like 1%. I'll, I'll buy that. Nothing's a hundred percent effective. You know, take, take what you can get. You know, it, I, I'll, I'll trust my life to a 1% chance that it won't work. Right. I mean, we do the same with uh, frag distances on explosions. It's, we're not backing up to no frag. We're backing it, up to like a 0.1% chance of frag. Exactly. It's like the best description I've ever heard is I told my mom, I re-enlisted to go be, go be an EOD tech. And she asked me, and this is a very common question, and you you probably know this. Well, what happens if you mess up? It's not my problem anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's very you know, very quickly not my problem. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's it. You're doing good. Oh shit, that sucks. You know, it's not your problem anymore. But you want to take as many precautions as possible to make sure that one percent doesn't happen. You got to build in your safety net, yeah. And that you know, and again, that's a recommend by quality as much as you can afford. Yeah. Uh, T put in a, a interesting comment here that uh, definitely applies to to armored vehicles, but it also yeah. applies to your person. I, I might have brought this up last time we did this, um, but he says, "Don't forget about the bits and bobs mounted to the top or inside of an armored vehicle that are going to yeah. turn into frag." And, and if I, I can't remember if I said this last week or not, so I don't want to beat it too much to death, but when you get your, your kit together, go for, go for a jog real quick and, oh, yeah. and do some calisthenics and see what falls off. Cause that, that stuff is stuff that you need to police up and that's just, and it doesn't need to be that. Honestly, if it falls off, you probably didn't use it to begin with. Yeah. 
You know, I'll tell you what's on my plate carrier. Plates. One of our tactical snack packs. Yeah, we called it that because it's funny. Because <laughs> uh, everyone was doing it. Why not? One of my tactical snack packs that has gloves, duct tape, some zip ties, some chem lights, a wrist-mounted Garmin, and a radio pouch. That's it. I don't have anything else on it. Because you know what? If I need anything else, I can layer on. Oh, you're better off layering your equipment than you are tossing it all on one thing, like I said earlier. So it, that, it, you're absolutely right. Go for a run. Figure out what's falling off. Figure out what's loose and flop, floppy bits. Mm -mm, none of those. Yeah. And then uh, you jogged my memory. I meant to bring this up a, a little bit earlier, but you also make some bags. Uh, yeah. One of which really stood out to me. I think it was the carry-all bag in waxed canvas. Yeah. Uh, so I find those, those are super cool. Cool story. That was the second product I ever made. That's the second product I put out there for people to, to buy and judge on. Cool. You know, I, I got medically retired three years ago. Can you tell? <laughs> I got medically retired and I, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And you know, like I said, I finally decided I want to make better gear that, than I have. And there's something about wax canvas, man. It's timeless. It's mm -hmm. classic. You can't beat it. And my brother, um, who's an infantryman as well, he said, you know, there's always one bag that kind of catches all. And that that was it. That sparked for me. You know, I'm like, you're, you're absolutely right. And that's what I'm going to call it. So they're very, a nondescript, super plain bag that's designed just to hold stuff. Because there's always going to be something, like whether it's in your car. I have one in the back of my car that holds roadside tools. But it's all just in a bag because no matter how hard you try, stuff's gonna just be there. Yeah. So it just catches all. It's super simple, you know. And we could have just made it out of a single piece, but the bottom is reinforced, so you can set it down. And you're not gonna wear it out. Excuse me. It's it's the simple things sometimes. So you don't need to get complicated. Like you look at some companies that have a forty dollar bag that does the same thing mine does. Yeah, it's there's, a piece of fabric. Something to, you know? something to be said for a nice, simple bag. That, yeah, that's just you know. And uh, when I first got it started, and I started making contacts, and Instagram is awesome. I do guerrilla marketing; it's free. Yeah. So I just was sending stuff out to people that I could afford to do it. Fine, and they got it. They liked it. And I have a lot of friends that are still doing like competitive shooting, and they use it for placing their brass when they reload. They use it for holding like. Ear Pro targets a staple gun in a bag they can take to the range or leave in the car all the time. You know, it's simple. It just holds them. You know, sometimes that's all you really need. You don't need to get complicated. Exactly. Yep. Simp simplify things more than we complicate them. That's that's the way to go. And this is a tattoo I'm planning on getting. It's a quote, and I don't I don't really like quote tattoos very much. I believe it was um, simplicity is the ultimate form of sophistication. I like that. That's cool. I believe that was Pablo Picasso that said that. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea who said But that's, the, that's one of the only quotes that's ever stuck with me, besides Steve Prefontaine's, to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. Oh, cool. You know, like, those are the only two quotes I've really kind of lived my life by. And, uh, you know, simplicity. You're right. You know, it, it, it is. What else do you need, you know? 
Well, so I've started a trend of uh, when we're wrapping this up of asking for any kind of parting wisdom. I think you nailed that. Um, so is there, yeah. is there anybody, uh, anybody else in the industry that you would like to uh, give a plug for or that you think would be a good uh, ask to come on here in a future date? Man, that's a loaded question. I know a lot of really good people in the industry. They really like, are. That's true. Uh, that's so hard to nail it down. I mean, you got me on that one. Um, <laughs> Who's a good one? Who's a good one? He's not really a manufacturer or someone who makes stuff. He is a content creator, and I like his the way he does stuff. And we, we've been talking a lot, bouncing ideas off of each other. Um, if you guys are on Instagram, check out M57. Oh, I knew you were going to say him. <laughs> yeah. He's an awesome guy, and I love his approach. And uh, to not give away too much about him because he likes his privacy, he's a former infantry officer. And his aesthetic, his composition, his approach to sometimes novel approach, let's, let's, let's be true about that. Yeah. Um, to how he does stuff in terms of the visual aesthetic of guns yep. and loadouts, I you can't beat it. I mean, it, when I when I I hate to say this, when I go to look for inspiration, he's one of the first guys I go to. Like, hey, what do you think about this? Yeah, because he's super honest about it, and he says, well, you know, maybe maybe that's a dumb idea. You know, I'll think about it for a little bit, or oh, that's a good great idea, do that. You know. Um, he would be someone I would say if you're looking for content, like inspiration on a visual level, I would say definitely go to him. And then I, I have to plug some someone in the AK community because you know AKs are life. AK is only. <laughs> um, actually, maybe I have two. Uh, Selrain AK. Okay. A fantastic rifle builder. I, I I think he's kind of on pause for this year, but. Go through, look at his stuff. An absolutely fantastic, top-notch rifle. Okay. And Carlos over at CW Gunworks down in uh, the Hanglo of Florida. Okay. Absolutely fantastic. There, you want to talk about custom AKs, just learning and absorbing because AKs are completely different than ARs. AR is a Lego set. You know, anyone can put it together. I think <laughs> I put my first one together when I was eight. You know, when I was old enough to buy a lower receiver. Right. You know. You know, before that, I, you know, a bunch of other stuff, but ex back to that, that, uh, that knowledge and wisdom thing you talked about earlier. Don't get stagnant on one train of thought when it comes to anything. There's always a different avenue. You know, it's a terrible saying, but it's true. There are many ways to skin a cat, mm -hmm. you know? that's such a morbid and kind of mean thing to say, but learn them all, like learn, yeah. learn a different way of doing stuff and, you know, being kind of a, uh, you know, shooting oriented two way community type of thing. The AR is cool. It's awesome. Learn about all the other stuff, pick yeah. up a book, go shoot a match, you know, pick up an AK, learn, learn, learn the weapon that apparently we've been fighting now against almost 20 years now. Yeah. You know, there, there's a reason why, you know, dirt farmers in Africa still use, it. you know, 
learn. You know, you, you've never you've never learned everything, and if you say you have, you're wrong. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Yeah, I I would say that if you're looking for content in '57, if you're looking for uh, anything in the AK community, I mean, Selrain um, AK and Carlos over at CW Gunworks. Very cool. Awesome recommendations. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're very welcome. And uh, thank you so much uh, for for volunteering to do this tonight. You're Eventually, very welcome. I, I know I'm long-winded. I, I tend to talk, so I hope I didn't take up too much of the uh, speaker. No, no, no. That's perfect. This is this is as little about me as possible and as much about the guests. So Yeah, I, I think uh, the ability just to talk is uh, the gift of gab. I definitely got it. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely... I, I enjoy uh, learning more about uh, everybody that's come on here, uh, and it, it's it's as fun for me as I hope it is for for any two or three people that actually listen to the podcast. So uh, maybe it's a little selfish, but I'm having a lot of fun doing this, and I, I really appreciate you volunteering. I'm glad. So. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. And real quick before everyone goes, I'm going to have a special code for everyone that listens to this live oh, on sweet. Monday live on Monday morning. 8 a.m. It's 15% off your entire order, and it's going to be EOD Fish 15. Oh, sweet! So everyone that listens, everyone that that, that shares this, you have a chance to, to save a little money, and I, I really appreciate your time and listening to me ramble on. <laughs> Thanks so much. I'll stop by and I'll get a plate carrier off you. So. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> <laughs> Twist my arm. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Very welcome. Awesome. I hope you have a great night, great weekend, and I hope uh, all the stuff that you add on Monday is wildly successful. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thanks, man. All right.